You're listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. And it is from what we just did that I want us to look at a passage that la- with the last chapter of the book of Joshua. Derek, who just came up here with his spoken word and essentially for us summarized a uh, very, very broad stroke summary of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. What were the, some of the key elements that were going on? The promise, the law, the disobedience, God's reconciliation, God's restoration. What is happening in those first five books? So we're done with the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, done in that we're not preaching them again this, uh, this year. We'll reference them, because we gotta go back to it, and we're turning, and, and rather than try and have a whole bunch of other things, like so until about August, we're gonna be going through history, wisdom, and prophets, right? That, so uh, the history being what happens after the first five, I mean, it's also history, but what's the history of Israel? And then kind of uh, salted in that are both wisdom, literature and uh, the prophets. So sometimes in our Bible, like it's not in chronological order there. So if you read like Old Testament cover to cover, uh, you are gonna be reading things like a prophet that is coming at, at a time that you already read in a history. Like, you know, so you'll be reading in Kings and then there'll be one of the prophets should need his reference and then the prophet has the book later. So if you read through just thinking like this must be chronological order, it's not. And so you're gonna be reading through some history now and then we'll have a few prophets, we'll have some wisdom literature, uh, and we'll try to always position what's going on. So as we end Deuteronomy, right, people are entering into the land. And they enter into the land, and it's called the conquest. That's one of the phrases that people use. And it's actually the land that God has promised. Now Moses has died, and Joshua is helping to lead the charge to go and take the land that God has given to them. So they're exercising faith in the Lord by actually going into the land and taking it. Now, uh, with that though, as we get to the end, there's gonna be an important part of what we see. And I think many of us have this understanding of self-sufficiency, kind of you got this, right? Like you know what's going on in your life. You're good, I'm good, you know, we're all good. And we probably, many of us kind of, we glory in our strength in our resolve, in our commitment, in our work ethic. Like we have it together and we know what's going on. Now that isn't all of us. That isn't all of us. Some of us have learned habits and we start to think really insecurely. But very often we have this way of saying, be like, no, we're good, like we're gonna do it, we're gonna get it. Some of you just feel like you can just muscle through anything at any time with the strength of your will. However, we're gonna to get to this passage in Joshua 24 where they're asking, Joshua's essentially asking for resolve and then when Israel gives it, he goes, you really think? You really think you can, you can do this? Which is an interesting thing to do, like, are you with me? And you're like, yeah, we're with you. And then he's like, no, you're not. And you're like, well, why did you even ask it in the first place? If you're gonna tell me I wasn't, why don't you just go ahead and skip over the am I? Sorry, I'm gonna get a little, this is gonna happen a lot, because Akers, who preached last week, put it on his left ear. And I, at first, my first thing I did when I saw him, I was like, bro, you did your left ear. Patrick did the left ear, and I had to spend like weeks getting it right for the right side, and then you went and flipped it over. Right, you saw it, it was like flopping over here the whole time. It's gonna be the same. So the challenge, Joshua 24, we're gonna look at verses one through 28 
in this. 1 through 28. And there are gonna be a couple of sections. The reason I like Joshua 24 as the passage for this week is because there's some summary work again. In fact, the Lord speaks and says, here is some of the stuff that's gone on that got you into the land. So that's what we'll read in the first section. And then there's the challenge put before the nation of whom will you serve? Then there's their commitment. So we're gonna see those movements as we look at Joshua 24, one through 28. So as we begin, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. We're gonna get to that in a second. And summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, the officers of Israel, got everybody together, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, long ago, listen to this, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham, and, uh, uh, and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Interesting. Terah, Abraham, they served other gods. I took your father Abraham from beyond the river. I led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. And I gave to Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Familiar with these from Genesis? And I sent Moses and Aaron, now we're into Exodus, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterwards I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen of the Red Sea, and when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. You lived in the wilderness a long time. That's a good way to summarize 40 years. Then I brought you out of the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan, the east side. They fought with you and, they get in, and I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, now we're into Numbers, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you, but I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, which is a cool story at the end there. So I delivered you out of his hand. You went over the Jordan, and you came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out. Don't know what the hornet is, could be hornets, just could be something. I sent the hornet before you, drove them out before you. The two kings of the Amorites, it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built. You dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and the olive orchards that you did not plant. It's a pretty quick summary of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, but it's from the Lord, so I'm cool with it. Now, therefore, now we have this. We'll do it from our memories so that we don't get all confused with these words. Therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods your fathers worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship the Lord. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today which will you worship. The gods your fathers worshipped beyond the Euphrates River, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. Then the people answered, 
Well, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the ways that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. The people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. I'm gonna pause there because when they're saying, we're going to worship the Lord, and he replies with, then put away the idols that currently exist inside your houses. That's what he says. That's why he's challenging them with this. And you're like, oh yeah, we'll worship the Lord. Like I, you know, he's like, I love God. I go to church all the time, all the time. It's like, really? Because if I would just look at how you lived and the devotion in which you lived, I would have some dissonance between what you're saying and what I'm seeing. And Joshua's saying the same thing. If this is really what you mean, then why don't you go ahead and get rid of the gods that are sitting around here that you try to worship and follow? Like, don't do that. The people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and he took a large stone and set it up there under the uh, terebinth that was the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us for it has heard all the words the Lord has spoken to us, that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, everyone to his inheritance. It's the end of Joshua. And a lot of things happen between the beginning of Joshua and the end of Joshua. But because we get summary there, and we also have this challenge that's going to position us for where we're going to head, which is the judges. Right? So the period of the judges comes after this. We're actually going to pick the book of Ruth as our judges story because Ruth happened in the time of the judges. So one Sunday, all of Ruth, buckle up. That'll be next week. But the, we get ready for the period of the judges and we kind of in between because Joshua's about to die. He's about to die. He's trying like Moses did to prepare the people again. So, I want to draw a couple of things out of this for us that we need to remember in regards to what is God doing even in the moment, even with where they are having the conversation. Because here, location is going to be important. Okay? So we'll start with just the first couple of verses. God's faithfulness, seen and remembered. Seen and remembered. And those are two important distinctions I want to draw out. Because you could be anywhere and remember God's faithfulness. Oh yeah, God did this, God did this, God did this. You could be sitting at McDonald's, you could be driving down the road, you could be here, you could be in community group, you could be somewhere and be remembering. But if you look right there at the beginning, look at the beginning of 20, 24 verse one. Gather together in Shechem. Now you might not, likely, and I would not have any 
problem with you going, I don't really understand why Shechem matters. So I'm going to give a couple of times because as we read through it, it matters in several ways. I'm going to give you one way significantly as we look behind us here on the screen. Genesis 12. Now, we preached on Genesis 12, but the first three verses. God calls in Genesis chapter 12, Abram, who becomes Abraham, out of his idolatry and says, I'm gonna send you to a land, I'm gonna give you a promise. So Abraham does that. Verse four, he goes in chapter 12 and they go, he was 75 years old. Abraham took Sarah, his wife, that's what's going on in verse five, and they started to head out. Now look at this, verse six, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak at Moreh, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. So Abram's actually already in the land that God gives him later. So he's there. He stops in Shechem. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So even in Genesis chapter 12, as Abram, Abraham sets out in obedience, he stops unknowingly at Shechem. And as he stops unknowingly at Shechem, the Lord appears to him again and says, to you and to your offspring, I will give this land. Now there are multiple things, good and bad, that happen at Shechem, but something that this, this group should remember, not this group, but the group that we're reading about, Joshua 24, is that as God is finishing, and he's giving memories time and time again, as God is finishing uh, with Moses, Moses is giving instruction on how the nation should operate once they get into the land. I'm sorry I keep messing with this, Trey. I'm like, it's just gonna, it's gonna be how it's gonna go the whole time. Really, really, you know, professional right now for me. Hmm, hey, you guys. So he says, Moses says, essentially giving instructions for when they enter the land. He goes, I want you to get on Mount Gerizim and Ebal. Now, you might not know where these mountains are, but these mountains actually overlook Shechem. And so he's saying, I want you, when you get into land, to get, like, like recite these blessings and curse on these mountains. You're gonna yell them back and forth from one another and you're gonna talk about God's faithfulness and while they're doing that, they're overlooking this place that God has promised even back with Abraham that he was gonna give them the land. That's in Deuteronomy 27. Then, as you're reading, you actually get to Joshua chapter eight and in Joshua chapter eight, they do that. Joshua chapter eight, they actually recite what's going on 33 through 35, so they, they kind of work in the land, Israel, sojourner, native or born, the elders and the officers, they stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests, half of them on Mount Gerizim, half of them on Mount Ebal, just as Moses had said for them to do. And afterwards, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word, all that Moses commanded Joshua that did not read before the whole assembly. Shechem, Shechem, Shechem keeps coming back. Like this place keeps coming back as a place of God's activity with the people. So when Joshua gathers everybody at Shechem, there are now centuries of history about that place and what God has done. And for those of us who have a hard time Think about maybe why that would even matter. I want you just to think about memories and places in your own life. I mean, you stroll down memory lane, you ever do that? <clears throat> and so, so when I drive sometimes to uh, places in Tomball, because it's where I grew up, 
I'll drive by the house that I grew up in at first. First house I remember. I think it was the only house I remember. I don't think I was somewhere before that. Um, but I, I, I go by that. The people who live in the house have no idea who I am. They don't know who I am at all. I've never knocked on the door and be like, hello, I used to live here. That'd be creepy. Maybe that's happened to you. But as I look at the house, I don't look at what they've done, right? I'm not like, oh, yeah, cool. Look at that thing over there. Look at that thing. I just look at what I remember. And I start to think, oh, yeah, we had this over here. We did this over there. We did that over here. And you start to just kind of point out things. So I'm like, why did they remove that back door? I don't even understand how they're going to get in the backyard anymore. Like, like you just start to see things as you remember it. This is why memory is so important. That's why we associate, and this is hard with our houses, like when you sell your house, you always want to value it more than anybody else does because you put the memories into it. No one else cares about your memories. They just want to buy your house from you. She's like, oh yeah, but come on. Like, I did a, I did a, water birth in that thing and they're like I'm out I'm out don't need that right like you have all these memories of how it went and so you're always going to associate some type of emotional connection to that place and so as they're gathering back at Shechem what is God doing you remember this remember what's happened remember what you've heard remember what I've said remember what's gone on remember what you spoke this place matters I've shown up here. So he gathers them. God's faithfulness seen and remembered. And I just want to encourage you all, we have to do this time and time again, to stop and consider the ways God has been faithful. But I encourage you actually to be active with it. Be physical with it. Like go to places where you have remembered that God has moved. It's not the place itself, it's the God's, it's God's activity there. But go to that place, take a walk along that place. So often it's like, oh yeah, 30 years ago I proposed to so-and-so here, whatever it might be. Whatever the place, whatever the reason, whatever the space, go to those places. Why? Because it's reminders of God's faithfulness. This is why at Genesis we take communion every week. A reminder instituted by Jesus on how we remember him. We remember that he died, that his body was broken, that his blood was shed for us and for our sins. Week after week, we remember, because how many times this week have you forgotten? More than you can count. How many times this week have you just been on autopilot and gone through your day, gone through multiple days, gone through your lunch, gone through your dinner, and just what the Lord has done for you has been not even an afterthought. It's like a footnote, or more, less than a footnote, it's like an endnote, because no one reads endnotes. Right, you gotta flip all the way to the end to see it. So you, put, you bury that stuff. And then, if we get here, we're like, we know we've forgotten. So let's put it back before us. What did Jesus do? So we, gather, we do that corporately, but I would encourage you to remember, remind yourselves of things that God has done and ways that God has moved. Give yourself memories of those and praise him for that. Now after, and this is kind of like this covenant treaty that they're making, right? All of these statements about God's provision happen in verses one through 13. As they've remembered God's faithfulness, now Joshua's gonna present them with two options, accept or reject. That's what he says in these next two verses. He goes, therefore, therefore, why are you? What is that therefore, right? For our little Bible study methods people, like you see, therefore, 
And you go, well, what, why is he t- drawing a conclusion? He's drawing a conclusion that because God has been so faithful to us, because he has been there from the time he called Abraham out until the time that he has brought us here, he has been faithful. Therefore, in light of all that God has done, and you can feel the deck being stacked, right? In light of all that God has done, everything that he has said, every way that he has provided, every promise that he has made, why don't you go ahead and choose? Worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods your fathers worshiped. Worship the Lord. It doesn't please you to worship the Lord, which is not like he's like, and that's, he's, not, he's not laying out two equal options. But he's going, if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, then why don't you go ahead and choose? What are you gonna worship? The gods your fathers worshiped? The gods of the Amorites, where you are right now? Go ahead, pick. Pick the God that has saved, redeemed, restored, cared, loved, supported, the one who has driven your enemies out, the one who has given you this land, the one who has provided for you in any way that you have needed, the one who, as Matt read last week, that your sandals did not wear out and your clothes did not get torn and tattered, that your bellies did not ache with hunger, that you had water and you had food for 40 years as you wandered, why don't you go ahead and pick? Because the gods of the Egyptians, the gods of the Amorites, the gods that even Abraham was brought out of his idol worship for, they didn't do that kind of stuff. But if that's what you want, go ahead. Pick it. Sometimes we, we lose this aspect of our faith. If you are new with us or uh, unfamiliar with some of uh, Genesis' history, we're part of the Acts 29 network, and one, one um, distinctive of our network is a, an understanding of salvation that, that we did not choose God, but that God chose us. We can't save ourselves, but that God saves us. And so you read a passage like this and you go, ah, I can't see, like, choose, right? Choose for yourself today, who will you worship? But you have to think, we've used the word before, ecosystem. We have to think of the environment in which this is being said. It's being said in, within the covenant community to the people of Israel, the, the nation that God has chosen and the people that God is blessing to bring his name out. And so within that environment, it makes perfect sense for them to go, hey, listen, What are you gonna pick? What are you gonna pick? Because God has already done the work on their behalf, hasn't he? He's brought them into the land. He saved them. He saved them out of Egypt. He did that. He brought the plagues. He called Abraham. In everything, God is moving and God is saving. And so Joshua gets before them and goes, you can have that or you can have this. But but we forget this. That same thing is before us day after day. Will I live this morning in obedience to the Lord? Or will I somehow conjure up a way to pursue what I want? Will I follow after him faithfully or will I choose my own desires, my own hopes, other things that I think are cool and that I can get a little like emotional fix on? Would I want that? And you can hear the same thing being said to a believer today. 
Remember when you knew nothing about who the Lord was? Remember when you were clueless and you were in your sin and you were in your disobedience and you were not following and you did not even know why you should. In fact, you hated God. But God, because of his great love for us, he sent Jesus into this world. And before you knew you needed Jesus, Jesus knew you did. And he gave himself for you. And with faith in him, you can have life forever, wholeness. This world can make sense in ways that it never could without him. So why don't you go ahead and pick this morning the more valuable way to live. With you, who might think that you know it all, or with the Lord, who knew what you needed before you did. Go ahead, pick. But another important thing that exists here for us in that, in that understanding of the challenge that Joshua puts before the people and that he says, as for me and my family, we will worship the Lord, we will serve the Lord, is this. A statement that you may have heard before, God has no grandchildren. And the meaning is that God only has sons and daughters. John chapter one, for all who believe in him and called according to his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So you're not a grandson or a granddaughter of God. You are a son or a daughter of God. That is the status that we get. Through faith in Jesus, we are given the status of son or daughter with God. Every generation must choose. Every person must choose. And so he's speaking to this group. Hey, we have, we're here. We've seen how God has moved. Now, what are we gonna do? Because following after him, it's not like I make the decision and then Three generations from now, kids, grandkids, great-grandkids are all on the straight and narrow because I can't do something that saves them. I can't apply my salvation to them. I can pray and long and raise and train and speak and do everything that I possibly can to show them why the Lord is better, but I cannot save them. Every generation must choose. So let me speak to those who are parents in the room or who interact with uh, children or youth or future generations of any kind. Are you enthralled with the Lord enough? Does it, is he glorious and great and good enough that future generations would go, I wanna serve the God of this person, be it mom or dad or Genesis kids teacher, I wanna serve that God because that God is so great to them. Why would I pick anything else? Why would I follow anything else? So though every generation must choose, is God big for those who have trusted him and followed him? Is he big enough and glorious enough and great enough that our lives and our speech gives a compelling argument for why he is good. Or if it were left up to you know, people observing us to go, I don't really understand why I need to follow their God. Their things are still broken, they're still angry, still seem frustrated. 
doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I don't see any difference. Now we can speak into that and go, of course, well, we're all sinners, we all need, we all need grace, but if, if our affections, love, devotion, if we have not been changed by grace, then people who look at us would go, I don't even understand why, like, like why do I want that? I mean, I gotta pick my problems and live those out with a bunch of other people who are gonna like backbite me and be angry with me and mock me and laugh at me and criticize me. I have enough of my own problems, not multiply them in the life of a church. How does our speech, our action, our love, our service, our gratitude, how does this reflect our knowledge of the good and gracious and loving and saving character of our God? Because though every generation must choose, they're leaning on a prior generation to understand. This is why that we're not gonna read the book of Judges or have a sermon on the book of Judges, we'll be in Ruth. The book of Judges goes through these cycles. Remember, salvation, forget, brought back into bondage, then remember, cry out, God's there, there's a judge. There's these cycles and this continual forgetfulness of what God has done. Every generation must choose, but every generation is leaning on a prior to understand. And that starts early. Before your kids, before our kids in these ministries can speak or read, they are being taught about the Lord. So we have to continue to be showing and speaking and declaring and singing about how he is good. So there's this declaration of God's goodness at Shechem and there's this challenge that's given before them and then they respond the way you would hope they would. We're in! God is great. We're gonna serve him forever. It's awesome. And Joshua's like, don't think so. So just, we're gonna look at 19 through 23 is that. Joshua said to the people, after they said, we love this, you're not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and you serve foreign gods, he will come and do harm and consume you. Now he said he'd do that. If you don't obey me, if you don't follow me, then you will be punished, disciplined for your lack of understanding and obedience. The people said to Joshua, no, 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 we'll serve the Lord. Joshua said, your witnesses, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. They said, we are witnesses. He said, remember this, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Not that will be, not that could be, not that might be, but are among you now. And incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. He challenges the nation's commitment right after asking for it, which doesn't seem fair. Feels like a bait and switch, doesn't it? Tell me you can do it. I can do it. Ha ha, no, you can't. Like, Joshua, bro, that's not even a fair way to go at it. You're hurting. Like, that's it. Just be like, I know you can't do it. But I think what's going on here is both the revelation, because he has seen it throughout Joshua, if you read with us that they're pretty good at disobeying. Idol worship, disobedience, God says do this. They're like, well, I'm gonna kinda do that. I'm not gonna do all of that, I'm gonna do most of it. 
In a few weeks when we get to Saul and the removal of the kingdom from him, he does the same kind of thing. Well, God said do this, but I think, I think what I do is better. I didn't just wipe it all out. I actually saved some of the cattle so that we could have some sacrifices because sacrifices are good and God likes sacrifices. And so already in the book of Joshua, there's been this competing, how faithfully will you follow the Lord versus I really kind of want to do the idol worship thing and the partial obedience thing. So when they stand up with such resolve, I think it's appropriate. He's like, are you sure? Are you sure? And this is what we have to remember. We, you and I, must pursue God humbly. Not just in full awareness of how we do screw up, but in awareness of how we might screw up. In awareness of our inability to faithfully and regularly pursue God with obedience. That there is something here between that exchange that Joshua is having with the nation. Where we, as we've seen the work of Jesus and we recognize the significant cost of our sin and our disobedience, that we have to pursue God humbly. Because we hear this exchange and that our ultimate need is him, even if we try to pursue him faithfully. And I want all of you, I want everyone in this room to have faith in Jesus and obey him more and better every day. I want that. I want that. You should want that. But we also know we won't be that. And so we kind of live in this spot where we're like, I want to obey in every way that I can. But then no, day after day, that's gonna be coming with varying levels of intensity. But underneath it all and beside it all and above it all is the work of Jesus for us. That he saved, that he loves, that he cares, that he died. And in fact, then frees us to go, thank God, what do you want from me? How could we serve you? How could we obey you? How could we follow you? Rather than a, well, we're, we got it. We're gonna do it. I know we are. We didn't do it too well last time, but this time is the time. No, it's not. I mean, in all honesty, it's not. So I do want us to pursue the Lord with zeal and joy and intensity. But that must for us be undergirded, supported by our humility and recognizing these kind of bold statements like, I got this, I can do this, I'm in it. They don't work. Because your resolve might be a 10 out of 2 million today and you feel like you're 100 out of 100. And then it might be 1 out of 5 billion the next day and you're like, I'm a 9 out of 10, I got this. To serve God with humility will always be a challenge for us. But as we are able to go, Lord, you've done the work. Lead us in the work. Teach us how to do the work. Now, Joshua gives us some ideas here, right? If you want to pursue the Lord humbly and honestly, then why don't you get rid of those idols? 
that's gonna probably be a pretty good test of how committed you actually are. Why don't you remove the things that are hindering you between fully worshiping him, between giving more of yourself to him? Rather than trying to just kind of go, no, we got this, but I'm gonna kind of leave my house like it is. And we saw this. Remember, remember when we did, went through Acts, if you were with us, we got to Acts chapter 19, and we were in Ephesus, and all these people were there, and they started burning magic books, right? Not like Magic the Card Game, but they started burning like sorcery and witchcraft. They started burning these books. But it was interesting because they called them the believers, right? So, so this burning of the books was not, it wasn't like, hey, we're gonna put our trust in Jesus for the first time, but this was like a continually growing awareness that, hey, I can't do this. There's like the sanctification moment, right? I can't live like this. This, this, this does not compete or is not compatible with this. Following this and trying to follow this faithfully, I can't have both of those. I can have one of those. And so they have this huge, like, not even like go to resellers or half-price books and try to get, get some money out of your magic books and then you know, give that money to the church. It's like, we can't even have this in our lives if we want to continue to faithfully serve the Lord. I would encourage you even now to go, Lord, what are the things in my life that prevent me from humbly and gladly and joyfully serving you? I don't know what those things are. But if you go to the Lord with humility and an open heart, he will tell you. So for us as a people to serve God with humility and with zeal, to choose him, but to choose him from faith and not from confidence in our own strength power in our own ability or thinking that we somehow have the corner on the market on God and what it means to follow him and to stay for the course of our lives in a place of broken, humble dependence upon a mighty and powerful God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we hear the challenge brought before the nation at the end of Joshua. We know, Lord, we hear those words, and while we want to mount up and scream, yes, we can do it, we know that we can't. If we could, we would not need your son, but we do. So, Father, guide us in truth. Keep our hearts close. Might you always remind us of our idols. Point out to us, God, our need. Reveal to us in greater and greater ways how we can depend upon you for the salvation that we have been given. Father, we love you and we thank you. Forgive us in the many ways even we have already failed you this morning. Ignite us, Lord, to pursue you passionately. But might we stay humble and dependent even in that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.